Welcome to the Community Church Podcast, your place to belong. Thanks for taking the time to tune into this week's message. I hope that it blesses and encourages you. Everybody has that story. Everybody's got that story where they were like, I don't need those instructions. Instructions are just a waste of time. One story that I, um, I had where I didn't think I needed the instructions is probably a simple one. Has anybody tried to fix their car before on their own? Yeah. It's fun. It's fun. It's messing around with that. Um, instructions are important, though, when it comes to fixing your car. And... Uh, Last year in October, I was privileged to buy my first car, saved every penny, every paycheck I had, cashed it, stick it in an envelope, put it under my bed for like six months until I could buy my first car. And I went up to this place in Mississauga, envelope 3,000 bucks in it, and said, I want to buy this car today. And it was like straight out of a movie, and it was awesome. Um, but buying an old car um, for cheap like that, you know that you're going to have to be maintaining it, replacing parts and stuff like that. So one of the first things to go on my car was my headlight. I'm like, oh, sweet, no big deal. It has like, what, like 10 bucks or something like that, just a little bulb in it. I'm like, I could screw in a light bulb. How many people does it take to screw in a light bulb? I, I don't need to like go do that. I can figure that out myself. So open my hood. Um, we, I actually was driving Maddie home one weekend after church. It was in around February when this happened. And... Uh, Stayed there, and uh, the next day, I parked my car in her garage, in her parents' garage, and I decided, okay, I'm just going to fix it in here. Little did I know, the light didn't work in there, so I'm kind of in the pitch black of this garage. It's really dark. There's not a lot of windows or anything, and, and the, the, there's like a covering on the window. And so I have my iPhone light, and if you've tried to replace your headlight before, you know that you can't get many fingers in there. You can fit like maybe one hand if you have like skinny hands like me, um, maybe. And my car decided that this tiny little clip that's held on by one screw and is like this small and you can't even see it because you can't like put your head down there that's holding the light bulb on, it decided to fall when I was taking the light bulb out, when I finally figured out how to take it out. So putting it all back together was just a mess. I think I spent maybe like an hour and a half to two hours trying to fix my headlight, and I felt like such an idiot for it. I felt like such a fool, and I'm getting frustrated. I'm, like, getting beat red, and Maddie, um, like, multiple times says, like, oh, I figured out how to fix it. I looked it up online. I I figured out how to fix it. I found the instructions on how to fix your light bulb. I figured out how you can replace it really simply. Trust me, trust me. I'm like, what are you talking about? You don't have a car. You don't know what you're doing with this, and I'm just being rude at this point because I'm so frustrated and angry, and Finally, probably the six or seven times she comes in, she plays this YouTube video, and it shows me exactly how to fix the lamp, uh, uh, the bulb in my, uh, on my headlight. And it took me maybe like two minutes to replace it. <laughs> maybe two minutes. So I spent an hour and a half to two hours of wasting my time and in my prideful self trying to fix it on myself, like by myself when I had instructions waiting behind me to do it. And it was so simple. Everyone... Uh, Everyone goes through times like this, and there's, there's some other ones. I heard some of these things in first service and this one too. Are there any chefs, any cooks in the house? Anybody like to cook? Nobody likes to cook. All right. All right, we got one cook in the front. That's awesome. That's why we have pancakes every Sunday. <laughs> Just kidding. Cooking, you would know um, that cooking taker takes instructions to make it well. And uh, does any have, anybody have a Pinterest account? I know Scott has a Pinterest account, but he doesn't want to admit it. And... Uh, and Pinterest, you look on it, and Maddie has this one Pinterest account that's like all Reese 
like Reese's peanut butter cups, like cookies and cakes, and it's like all this fancy stuff, and it looks so good, and every time I think about, oh, we should totally make that, I'm like, it is not going to turn out the way that it looks on that picture. There's like absolutely no chance that that's going to happen. Cooking takes instructions. You got to uh, do the instructions. Traveling, any road trip people in the house? Road tripping, you know, and maybe this is just for the dudes in the house, maybe not. Um, traveling, GPSs are important. Maps are important. Destination is important. And I have a tendency, because I bought my first car and I think I'm all that at the point, of, oh, I don't need instructions. I don't need to use the data on my phone to do that. I can just, like, figure it out. It's like the 401 is just left and right. It's real simple. I'll get off at some point. My, I remember my first time, first time, like, figuring all that kind of stuff out, like collectors. And I was like, mm, where am I going? I got so lost. I remember driving Maddie home, and the way home took me, like, three hours from Stouffville. I had no idea where I was going. Cooking, traveling. Oh, instructions. But the worst one of all time is this, Ikea furniture. <laughs> Ikea furniture is straight up the most best place to go to in the whole world. It's so much fun. I remember going as a kid there with all my buddies. We'd play tag in there, and we'd get some 50-cent hot dogs, and it was great. And not much has changed because we were there last week when I, was, when I was doing the sermon prepping for this quiz, and uh, we had 50-cent hot dogs for lunch because that's what you eat for lunch when you're paying off your student debt. <laughs> and uh, Ikea furniture, though, is the best and the worst thing in the whole world. So I thought, what better way to explain following instructions than doing a quiz on guessing what the furniture is called in Ikea. So if there's any Swedish people, you might want to move around and sit with them today. Um, we're going to go ahead and guess the, um, the furniture. So the first one is this. You could write it on your table or on your phone or whatever. Wow, no way. Eight. Nine. You got ten? Oh, okay. Nine. That is awesome. Give it up for the front table. Woo! You win free IKEA furniture instructions. Okay. <laughs> Clearly. Oh, it's so good. Um, IKEA furniture. We're going we're to go ahead and uh, if you have a Bible, that's awesome. You should bring your Bible church. Good. If not, there's one on your desk there or on the table, and it'll be up on the screen as well. We're going to turn to Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 29. Um, some instructions on how to get there. Um, there's Old Testament and the New Testament. Matthew is the first chapter of the New Testament, kind of the second half of the Bible. Flip to the middle, keep turning until you see Matthew at the top of the page. Find a big number seven, and then the little 24 to 29. And that's how we get there. Some info on what's actually happening, some context of uh, where Jesus is at, is he's actually laying down one of the best sermons that you've ever heard. Now, I know that this might be the best sermon you ever heard, or Jason, he, he, Jason is an awesome preacher, Scott's an awesome preacher, but, but Jesus is laying down one of the best sermons of all time. We actually know this sermon to be the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus, while, while he's preaching to the crowd of a very diverse crowd, he actually unpacks many different questions, different issues, different moral issues, and uh, other ethical topics including this, okay, this huge list in one sermon. He talks about law. He talks about anger. He talks about divorce, lust, oaths, retaliation, loving your enemies, giving to the needy, prayer, fasting, storing up your treasures in heaven, <laughs> judging others, and much more than that. And I'm like, man, Jesus can preach. He knows what he's doing. He's talking about a lot of stuff. And now we are here, and Jesus is about to wrap up his sermon. He's coming to the end, to the conclusion, and he says this in Matthew 7, 24 to 29. You can read along on the screen or in the Bibles. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew 
and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he, has taught, he had taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. I like Jesus because he's the kind of guy who was, uh, he was very to the point. He was a very blunt preacher. And sometimes we read uh, the stories that he shares and, and, and kind of sermons that he was doing and, and just talking to people and we're like, oh, it's so hard to understand. And maybe this parable is one that's like that. But he's blunt and to the point and he doesn't beat around the bush. And uh, basically, in, in simple language, Jesus is trying to say this. I've told you all these things that are important to living your life now. If you don't, fool, if you don't follow them, you're a fool. <laughs> basically, he's straight up saying, you are a fool. And sometimes I'm like, yeah, I like learning that way. Jesus, like, just work in me, change me. I don't want to be a fool anymore. I want to be, uh, I, I be someone who follows you and does good. Uh, Jesus is to the point with who he's talking to, including me and you. Um, if you know me. I'm a little bit of a fool sometimes, I'll admit it. I'll be the first one to admit it. And uh, any time that I get the chance to uh, embarrass my beautiful girlfriend, I do that because I love her so much. And here's the thing with Maddie. If you know Maddie, she has this, I think I've used her in every sermon so far. <laughs> she has this big, beautiful smile that is like changes the room. It's just bright. You know things are happening and, it, and life is good when Maddie's smiling. And uh, I can be like pretty annoying sometimes and, and push people's buttons if you know that. And uh, I do that to Maddie a lot, and, and actually we were, we, this, this weekend I was doing that, and she's like, aren't you preaching on this? Like, stop it. And, and what happens is Maddie um, is like one of those people when she gets upset or when she gets angry, she's actually, she has, she has a big smile on her face still. So in the beginning, you really can't tell the difference. It's like, oh, she probably is like, oh, stop it, ha, 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 stop it. But really, on the instant, she's like, stop it, Carlo, like, no more. <laughs> and I've never heard her, heard her yell at me like that before, but uh, I, I learned over the, the almost two years now that I know better, that when I'm annoying her and pushing her buttons or tickling her or doing something silly like that, that I know that there's a limit that reaches where she's still smiling, but she's like, no, seriously, stop on the inside. And uh, I tend to go way past that all the time. I know better, and I've been told these instructions on what to do, uh, but I don't follow them, and I end up looking like a fool. So many times we come to church, and um, we hear this amazing story and this word from God, from the Bible, and we say to ourselves, man, this is so good. This is so good. This is so relevant to my life. This is so good. It's going to change me. This is what I needed to hear. And then sometimes we go home and actually we forget to apply any of it to our lives at all. Sometimes we even get like a little keepsake or a take home and, uh, to help us remind of what, what we've been taught, what was talked to us. But by the time we get to the car, sometimes we forget. I'm definitely in that boat. And sometimes we don't. Jesus is making it clear here that following him is not a 50, 60, or 90% kind of thing. It's actually your whole life or it's nothing at all. Scripture says this in Revelation 3, 15 to 16. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. And it makes me think, it, it's, very, it's very clear. It's, it's not like this crazy parable that has like this in-depth rooted story that means something magical. It, it really says, God, what God's saying here is, you know when it's really cold outside and like you get a nice hot cup of water, put your tea bag in there, kick back, relax, watch some Home Alone or something when it's Christmas. It's really good. It's relaxing, right? 
or the other way around, you're playing sports outside in the summer, it's crazy hot, you're sweating, you need a nice ice cold cup of water or water bottle, it's amazing. But in the middle, lukewarm water is always like, it's, it's, it's never like satisfying, it's just like, ugh, whatever, I wish I had one or the other. God's trying to say the same thing. At this time, the audience that Jesus is actually preaching to is a, it's a pretty diverse crowd. It's not only just his friends, his disciples, it's uh, religious leaders and synagogues and temple and uh, many other people that were there. And uh, Jesus says to his audience, they need to decide between himself, who is the will of God, and the religious establishment, which was at this time just a set of corrupt rules. He draws this big dividing line, big dividing line between himself and any other foundation of life. And he asks his, the crowd to choose at the end of his sermon. We've heard all this, now choose follow me or follow the world. And I think that's extremely important. So that's where I want to talk about four important things to building a firm foundation on your life. First one is this, leads right into we need to follow Jesus. Number one, maybe that is so repetitive for you, but it doesn't matter how young or how old you are, following Jesus is the first step to having a foundation in your life. You put anything else before him, your house will come crashing down. It's only a matter of time. Following Jesus is number one. We want to have a firm foundation in our life so that when storm comes and troubles are knocking at the door, you need to follow Jesus. It's pretty plain and simple. Scripture says this in John 14, 6, that Jesus is the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. Meaning this, you can try and find purpose and calling and even foundations in many other things that this world has to offer, but at the end of the day, they're probably going to leave you empty. And the only sustaining cornerstone in this life for your foundation, the house you build on, is actually Christ. And maybe you're like, yeah, okay, Carlo, that's really nice, but why is Jesus the only way? Jesus is the only way because he's the same yesterday, he's the same today, and he's the same tomorrow. And I love that, we, that Michelle spoke that over us this morning. And uh, that wasn't even planned at all. That wasn't planned at all. Our God that we love and we believe in and we praise and exalt is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So no matter what happens in your life, he still loves you. He doesn't love you any less just because you screw up today or screw up tonight. He doesn't go, oh, Matt, like, you, you really messed up, like, after church. Like, you, you, you ate your take home and then you didn't even remember what Carlos said. Like, that's <laughs> sin. I only love you, like, 60% now. No, Jesus loves us. I can't even put a percent on it. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the only way. Jesus is the only way to God, the God who makes our path straight. If you want a firm foundation in your life, you've got to respond to the call of Jesus for salvation. And sitting in this room, maybe you don't understand everything about faith or about Christianity or God, and that's okay. I don't either. I'm a pastor. <laughs> and, and maybe you have this void in your life that you can't seem to fill. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a mimic Jesus a little bit here and be blunt. I, I would dare to say that if that void hasn't been filled yet, it's probably because you don't have a firm foundation, a relationship with Jesus. So I'd ask that you would make that a priority in your life. If you feel far and disconnected and, and you call yourself a follower of Christ and uh, a Christian, maybe it's time that you need to come back home. You know, you have this label on you, like you represent a faith, but the, there's been a big disconnect in your relationship with God your life is wanting to be built on a firm foundation, first thing we got to do is follow Jesus. Second thing is this, we need to initiate love. If you want to build your house, aka your life, on a rock, aka Jesus, you need to initiate love. Without 
a doubt, the greatest teaching in the whole Bible is love. In one word, the Bible is a story of love and what true love really is. It's a fundamental characteristic, sorry, it's a fundamental characteristic of God and creation. And, and apart from love, everything in our life is either lost or broken in a certain amount of time. Scripture says this about love in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. And we've read this actually a few times in the last few weeks. I think it's good to repeat it. If I speak in tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if you've ever had a, a, a drum set in your house or you plan on getting it, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> the first time your kid picks up a drum set, it's, uh, it's not the prettiest thing in the whole world. First Corinthians, is, it, it's saying this. It means this. You can, do, you can try and do all the rules and, and get it all right and, and be this perfecto religious person or thing. But apart from love, you're actually just really annoying and you're missing the point. Love is the most important. It's, it's interesting because uh, going on how Jesus is uh, just such a bold guy in his faith, in the words that he says with authority, he's not only saying this to a crowd of like people who are just looking for the answers. Like, Jesus, I, I, I traveled far and wide. I have no food left. I have no water left. I'm here. Please give me the truth. He gives them the truth. He's not just preaching to those kind of people. He's not just talking truth and love to those kinds of people. He's actually talking to people who know better. People who have used faith for their own twisted benefit, which I think is insane. Which eventually led to his death. Three days later, better news, resurrected. He made it really clear who he was upset with. And uh, we know Jesus to be the guy who's like, Chill, laid back, Jesus, yeah. Like, I'll heal you. I'll give you some miracles. Life is good. Love. Love your neighbor. Um, but there's, there's times in this story where it looks like Jesus is like, he's kind of frustrated. I think he's being very blunt with the crowd he's speaking to. And frustration can be good in a healthy way. He wasn't upset with the tax collector, people that were stealing everyone's money. He wasn't upset with the Gentile who Jews at that point, uh, uh, there was a, a racial argument going on. He wasn't upset with a prostitute who was sleeping with everybody. The only people Jesus kind of had beef with in the Bible that I read is actually religious rulers that were mis misrepresenting the Father, that weren't actually loving. They knew all the law. They could probably recite the whole Old Testament off the top of their head, but they just couldn't love. They missed the mark. They missed the point. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven says this. The greatest commandment is to love God and to love others. Let's be the church that is known for that. And I think we're on a real good roll. Imagine that when you see that person at the grocery store or you see that person at your job or your family member or friend, whoever in this city, in Waterdown, and they say, oh, you go to Waterdown Community Church. You love God and you love others. That's what they think about when they think about this church. That is the best place to be, church. That is the best place to be. When someone says, yeah, you go to Waterdown Church, that's cool. You guys love God and you love others. Let's be the church to represent that. Let's show the world who Jesus is actually really all about. And I don't mean by like, like Facebook debates or like posting theological blogs and stuff like that and creating arguments about faith, but just by random acts of kindness and love. And if you do that, I dare you to watch the world change around you. If you want your house, your life to be built on a firm foundation, 
need to follow Jesus. You need to initiate love in your life. Number three is this. We need to represent righteousness. In the closure of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, uh, he says this in Matthew 7, 26. going to read it again. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And every time I read fool in the Bible, especially when Jesus is preaching, I put a little Carlo twist on it. And I like to think that um, Jesus is speaking in like a Mr. T accent, if there's any Mr. T fans in the house. And all I can think of, he's preaching out to these people and he's like, religious leaders, pity the fool who built his house on the sand. And I don't know if Jesus had like a goatee and a mohawk or anything like that and big chains, but um, we, we, I just think it's so funny to picture him like Mr. T. <laughs> but Jesus' choice of, uh, of words are actually pretty uh, particular here. Um, sometimes we read the Bible and we only see like this top layer understanding uh, or first impression of what Scripture is trying to say to us. But there's actually a bigger meaning to it all. And when you start to understand the context of the Bible and who's talking and where it was written and who it was written to, it actually applies way more to your life than you think. And this is why you get yourself a study Bible. And this one's really old and beaten up and it's been passed down from my friend Mike who gave it to me and then I duct taped it. So <laughs> it was just completely falling off. I've had some interesting comments about that, but um, at the bottom of a study Bible, for the most part, there's a bunch of explanations on almost every verse that you read, and maybe this is like old news to you or new news to you, but um, if you get one of these, you could probably preach. <laughs> it explains really well um, what is going on, so when I have questions, I make sure I read from my study Bible, so make sure you go to your local Christian bookstore, pick up a study Bible. When I was studying this passage, uh, I came to learn that it says this specifically. During the hot summer months, the sand around the Sea of Galilee, kind of where they were located at this time, um, had a hard surface on top. And a wise builder, someone who was building a house or building whatever, knew that he needed to dig several feet in the ground, several feet until they hit the bedrock in order to, to, order to establish a foundation for his house. The religious establishment of who Jesus is referring to as a fool in this story, usually those kinds of people built their house on, on just the hard sand because they're like, oh, this is really hard. I'm not gonna, I don't want all that effort to be through it. Like, it's good. But little did they know, and this actually happened quite a lot, so I don't know why they didn't learn ahead of time, that when storms came through that area, like, they were like nasty storms. They were nasty. What Jesus is trying to say here is that believing is good. It is good. Don't, don't, don't miss my point here. Believing is good. Having faith in God is good. But if it doesn't affect your life and it doesn't change you, what good is it? Okay? You can believe in God, but if it doesn't change your life, what good is that? As Christians, I think we're called to this, this higher standard of living, and it's probably the highest standard of living. It's God's standard. And we can actually only reach it through a saving grace. Scripture says this in James 2, 14 to 17. What good is it, my friends, if someone says they have faith but don't have works? Can their faith save them? If a person is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace and be warmed and filled, without giving them the things that they need, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. It's another bold scripture there for you. Faith without works is dead. Representing righteousness is actually a key part of our Christianity. It's Jesus continually working on our hearts and us letting him to turn us back into the person 
that God once created us to be, which is perfect and sinless. And that's some good news. If you want to build your life on a firm foundation, you need to consistently represent righteousness in your life. For example, um, I'm wearing a baseball hat. And uh, some of you know that I'm always wearing a baseball hat all the time. And I think some people have, uh, I, I've, I've made little fibs before <laughs> about baseball, and I'll go on to pretend like I know everything about it. I'm like, yeah, Atlanta Braves are like, they're an awesome team. Like, they're doing like really good this season. They're not. But <laughs> I learned that after having that conversation. But what's true is that I look the part, and I can fake the part, and I can pretend like I can walk and talk the part. But at the end of the day, I know nothing about baseball, okay? I just think the hats are cool. That's why I buy them. And I usually have a lot of bad hair days, so that's why I wear a lot of hats. Um, Scott is the same way, actually. He bought a New York Yankees hat after making fun of me for six months of wearing a Yankees hat. It's like, dude, you got like the Jays, man. It's like, why did you get a Yankees hat? I don't know. I just have to throw that in there because... I can look the part, I can talk the part, I can pretend to be the part, but at the end of the day, I'm not a baseball player. I actually do like baseball now. I went to a few games. It's a pretty cool sport. (laughs) Representing righteousness, not just faking it, not just pretending to do these good works, not just pretending to know tons of quotes in the Bible and all this stuff that's actually good for your life and is actually important. But if you don't apply it, then what good is it? Last point is this. We need to make changes. If you have a house that you're renting or, or, or you own a house, you know that you're consistently updating it, you're fixing it, replacing it, changing certain things um, just to make the house better, um, not just to live in or to sell. Um, in the same way, if we want our lives to actually have this firm foundation, there are some aspects of our house or our life that we actually need to change. There's some things that we need to update. There's some things that we need to get rid of or replace. Likewise, we actually have these habits. We have friends. We have possessions and more in our lives that are uh, actually eating away at our house, a.k.a. our life, when the storm comes, can be a lot more damaging than we think if we don't make these necessary changes. And I told you about my first car in the beginning of the service, and I uh, still have it. It's going. Tires are real bald, but <laughs> it's, uh, that's the foolish part of Carlo coming out again. I've had to make... Uh, a, pretty, uh, a pretty big investment in the car to keep it running. And it's great. It's never broken down on me while I've been driving. It's never hurt me in any sense or anybody else. But there's been tons of parts that I've had to replace. It just gets old, gets rusty, falls apart. If I want a good foundation for my car, if I want to be able to keep driving it, I've got to keep replacing those parts. The best part, or maybe the worst part for you, of, of making whatever change you need to do in your life is that at first it feels like it costs you everything. At first, you're like, how am I ever going to do that? How am I ever going to get rid of this? How am I ever going to change this? How am I ever going to trade it out for what God has for me? feels like it costs you everything. You have to have to stop watching that show, hanging around with that crowd. You have to give away something. You have to quit that job. In reality, it's it's extremely hard decision. But the truth is, it doesn't actually cost us anything at all. Because when things are hard... And, th- and things feel like it costs a lot of money. Grace is actually free. Grace is free. What changes in your life do you need to make to have a strong foundation? Repair this roof on your house. When storms come, that's actually the true test of uh, where our faith really lies. And I know that there's people in this room that I, I, I've met with, we hang out, I like you. <laughs> where you're going through a storm right now. And uh, you're going through a hard time. 
and it's not easy. And there's, there's, there's other people in this room where the storm's just around the corner and you can't even see it coming. This is why having a firm foundation for your home, for your life, is actually so important in your life. So today I want to leave you with these four things that we talked about. Number one, are you willing to follow Jesus no matter where he leads you? Number two, are you willing to initiate love and home in your community? Number three, are you willing to represent righteousness so that, Matt, when that other friend from work, that other friend from school, or, or whoever you're hanging out with says, man, Matt, there's something different about you. I want what you have. That's where you slide into the, the Lord. That's where you slide into the Lord. Represent righteousness. Are you willing? And the last thing is, are you willing to make changes in your life and the repairs that you have to do? And you're realizing that, like, you know what? I don't have it all together. But I'm willing to be the person that God wants me to be. I would like us just to stand as, as we just close the uh, service here today. And I want to challenge you on one thing. I think response time is really important when, we're, when we hear what God is trying to speak to us. And I don't know every situation. I don't know every story. I don't know every storm. I don't, I don't know necessarily how your foundation in your life right now is. Maybe it's stronger than it's ever been. Maybe your house has already crashed down and you need to have a new start. This morning you can actually do that because grace is free. Jesus didn't say, go and fix all your life and then carry your cross. He didn't say, go fix all your life and then you can come to me once you're like a lot cleaner or when you have more things figured out. Because there's nothing actually that's bigger than God. There's nothing that's too hard for God to handle. Paul was a guy who murdered Christians at one point and became one of the guys to start the whole church. Trust me, God can handle it. So I want us as a church this morning to worship and to pray and to ask God, what are the things in my life that I need to change? What are the things in my life that I need to initiate love in my house, in my home, in my community, in my life? Jesus, can you help me represent righteousness? Because I want to follow you with everything that I have. This could be a sermon for you today that was like, I've heard this a million times. Maybe you heard it for the first time. There's no difference. Today I want you to pray and worship and talk to your heavenly father who loves you so much and can handle your storm. So let's worship today, okay? Let's take a few minutes. We're going to sing a song. Scott's going to lead a song. And we're going uh, to worship. And then we'll close. Father, we thank you this morning, God, that Lord, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You are our firm foundation, our solid rock. Jesus, you are our cornerstone in our life. God, will we take the steps to follow you this morning for the first time or the hundredth time? God, would you teach us to learn how to love like you love? God, would we represent righteousness in radical ways where when, when people will question why? And they want the same thing. Jesus, would you help us make the changes in, we life we, in our life that we need? God, would you be exalted above all? Thank you, Father. Amen. Thanks for listening in to this week's message. Be sure to follow us on all social media to stay updated with everything Community Church. Also check us out at www.communitychurch.ca.